It's Friday, and it's time for Dragonheart. Well, the waiting's over. Phil Parkinson is the new Wrexham manager. For weeks, Wrexham fans have been desperately yearning to find out what happens behind closed doors. And then they saw what Matt Hancock gets up to behind closed doors and stopped wanting to know what happens there at all. This week's been a heady mixture of TikTok, Aviation Gin and Evor Williams. Just like prom night in Mould Allen. We've got lots to talk about today. I'll be joined by Che Long. We'll talk about the new manager, all those exciting sponsorship deals, the National League salary cap and Wales's exit from the European Championships and what happens next. So, fasten your seatbelts and get ready. It's time for Dragonheart. So, welcome to Dragonheart. It's uh, been quite a busy week. I'm Mark Griffiths. There's Jay Long. Hi, Jay. Yeah, it's been a crazy week in Welsh and Wrexham football, so I can't wait to break it all down. Exactly, yeah. It's nice to have lots of Wrexham stuff to talk about as well. Yeah. You've got all the, you know, a new manager to speculate on, and lots of people doing that already. Uh, kit stuff, sponsor stuff, salary caps. Oh, it's, everything's kicking off. So, uh, yeah, this should be a good one, I think. Yeah, per perfectly timed as well, to be honest, because I, mm. I think Wrexham went quietly, quite, quite well. Well, the Wales was kicking off and the Euros, and now we've been knocked out of the Euros. We can now look forward to next season with Wrexham, especially the way we finished last season. So it's nice to start with a nice clean sheet, isn't it? Absolutely. So after this, we'll move on to talk about the new gaffer. So, finally, we know the identity of the new manager, Phil Parkinson, a manager with, well, certainly uh, plenty in his background, a very experienced manager, a manager who's had real success. What do you think of the appointment? Yeah, very happy. And to be honest, I would have been happy with whoever they appointed because I do trust the board, um, to be fair. But this guy's managed some bigger clubs, bigger clubs, a lot bigger clubs than Wrexham too. So... He's gonna be. He's gonna be used to having a lot of weight on his shoulders, which I think comes with the job managing Maxim. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ex expectation is massive at our club because of the, the strongly held belief that we are way below the level we ought to be, and yeah. with money to spend as well, that also puts an expectation on. You know, people are expecting very, you know, very swift results, aren't they? Really. Um, he's, I mean, most famously, I guess, took Bradford to the semi-finals mm. of the League Cup. Only fourth division team to achieve that feat. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. He's he's had promotions with Colchester and Bradford as well. Uh, with Bolton, he seems to have done a really good job considering they're, you know, they're strapped for cash and had a transfer embargo. So he's he's got, you know, he's he's got quite a, a lot of credit in the bank from his previous work, hasn't he? Yeah, of course, and that, that'll create good links with other clubs. He probably has really good relationships with clubs at a higher level. And you got to think at the moment with these players that are probably trickling down to Wrexham's level because clubs won't be able to afford to have these players in their books. I think it's a great opportunity to have a manager like him at the helm. So I'm really, really excited for next season. I mean, I know that some people have pointed at this time at Sunderland and said that he didn't do well there. I'm extremely reluctant to to be... Well, firstly, I'm extremely reluctant to try to judge him negatively before he's mm. had a chance to even get his feet into the desk. If you don't give a manager a chance, then, well, what opportunity do they have? But certainly, I think the Sunderland thing... I, I, I mean, turning Sunderland's momentum around is a bit like turning an oil tank around, isn't it, really? Yeah. They're plummeting. And I know I've seen people talking about him having a big budget there, but not succeeding. Well, an awful lot of Sunderland's budget when they when he took over would have been chewed up by mm. players still on Premier League contracts. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of that budget would have been spoken for, and and you wouldn't have a chance to change anything. And and sadly, when big clubs go bad, you end up with an awful lot of dead wood and an awful lot of. Of drastic decisions to be made and quite often a few managers fall by the wayside before you can get to a point where they can get turned around don't you yeah 100 percent. and again i won't knock him for his time at sunderland because you gotta think he's managed sunderland you know a team far bigger than Wrexham. Mm -hmm. you gotta say and a club with a lot of expectation you know you're talking one of 
England's biggest clubs, really, when they're rocking Sunderland. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, if he can manage them, I'm sure. Was the Sunderland Slide Die documentary on while he was managing? It was before him, wasn't it? It was, was it just before him, him? yeah. yeah. Uh, right, that's it. So, yeah, so he's got a hell of a lot of expectation, but Wrexham has a hell of a lot of expectation, right? And he's got the experience, so, yeah, I'm happy, and let's let's give him time to do his job as well, and let's not jump on the back if the things don't work out straight away. Let's really get behind this manager. Let's everyone get behind him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, he's, he's he's had more than one promotion. He's generally left clubs with positive sensation. Uh, yeah, have, he's extremely experienced. His achievements at, at Bradford City were remarkable. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it. it you you think about the sort of criteria that you're looking to fulfil in this managerial appointment at this specific point for Exum. Yeah, I mean, he ticks a lot of boxes, doesn't he? And, and let's be yeah. honest, um, Phil Parkinson is not somebody who would have been thinking about coming down to Wrexham unless he, we had such a remarkable project lined up. Yeah, of course. And it, it, it's such a unique experience for any manager to want to jump on this sort of thing because... He's, his his um, bosses are going to be two Hollywood stars. And, yeah. you know, that's such a unique experience for a little town in the middle of North Wales. And hopefully he can play a big part on, in this club's history of getting us out of this rotten league. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, don't worry. We'll get on to how this is a rotten league in a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if you've had the chance to see his Wikipedia page today. Um, if I, could... I Go on. Well, I'll just read to you uh, one of the, op the opening paragraphs, which I think sums up why he's a good choice for the job. Parkinson is the only manager to take an English fourth-tier league club to the final of a major cup competition at Wembley Stadium, leading Bradford City of League Two to runners-up in the 2013 League Cup. Parkinson is openly supportive of maybe and Glyndour, thinks Chester is a middle-class hellhole, and is a strong advocate... <laughs> of Wrexham supporters' campaign for chips for a quid. Well. It's on Wikipedia. It's true. It must be true. And he's if he's led a fourth-tier club yeah. to, to a final of a major tournament, that means he's answering our wishes. FA Cup final this year. Come on, Wembley. Yeah. Oh, no question. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we do so well this year, they'll even let us go in the League Cup when they realise oh. what we are. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm really loath to sort of repeat criticism, but sometimes you have to in order to sort of call it out. I see people talking about him being negative, and because he plays three at the back. Well, I mean, I, I just don't understand anyone who talks like that. Three at the back is, to my eyes, an attacking formation. Um, and anyway, well, it's it's how formations are just a starting point. They're not really key. It's how yeah. you play on the pitch. It's how players line up. Is your three at the back with the wing back sitting deep, or are your wing backs up the pitch like Hall Johnson and Green? You know, I mean, to be trying to pick holes in someone before he's even taken charge of the club because you think he played a certain formation. I seem to recall him playing four four two quite a lot throughout his uh, managerial time when I've seen him. But you know, I mean, honestly, let's give this bloke a chance because he'd be under enough pressure when the football starts anyway, won't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, he's going to be under a hell of a lot of pressure because of the whole nature thing. So, you know, the Wrexham job comes with a lot of pressure anyway because we expect to get out of this league every year, even when we, the WSC budget, you know, we were a lot lower than a lot of the budgets in the conference. But now we've got this big budget. People are literally going to expect us to romp this league, even though, you know, sometimes, no, no, a lot of, there'll be a lot of games this season coming that we're going to lose. Yeah. We may lose really badly as well. And it's important not just to get not to get on the back manager's back because losing games happens. Exactly. Promotion campaigns often take a while to settle as well. And we've often seen with teams with big budgets who have got out that they've often had to spend in the middle of the season to correct, you know, having seen half yeah. the campaign to correct the areas that actually the money wasn't well spent. And I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope. Parkinson's brilliant with his recruitment and over the summer brings in some fabulous players and we're just really, really good. But if not, you know, then don't panic. See, top seven has a chance of going up in our division. Yeah. Uh, we just need to, to you know, so, to keep calm. 
and uh, back the new guy. Yeah, I, I, there's not much more I can add to that, to be honest, Mark. I 100% agree. It's just occurred to me, you know what I should have done beforehand, was have a look at recent Sunderland players and Bolton players, so I could we could try and anticipate the daft speculation that will now come in, of which players he's going to bring with him, because even though managers Ooh. generally don't bring players with them, fans always, always want to say, oh, he managed them. So uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be coming. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's just how speculation works, especially yeah. with Rex. And we've 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 heard some mad suggestions for to be our manager yeah, <laughs> in yeah, recent yeah. months. I, I can't wait to see what players <laughs> are going to be suggested soon. Hundred percent. I mean, I I I'll certainly say that most of those names are on the the bookies list. We sort of said this all along that the, the cards are being played close to the chest by the people running it. That was that has been the case. And honestly, I mean, quite a few of the names that were really favoured, as I understand it, weren't even didn't even apply. It's yeah. just daft. I mean, beyond the obvious, you know, they just always say Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes is not going to go and manage Rex anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but some of the other ones just daft, just people putting two and two together and making eight. Yeah. So, we know what it is now anyway, so now we've, we've got some but, something to go move forward with. But players-wise, there's a free agent in town at the moment, isn't there? Oh. As of yesterday, uh, Lionel Messi. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see him in Shell Garage in no time, <laughs> going to the turf, not knowing where he's going. <laughs> and um, Wayne from the turf will point point out where to go, and he'll yeah. be playing for Wrexham. Yeah, simple absolutely. as that. Yeah, he'll be there. Uh, you can say in the garage, <laughs> showing uh, showing on Google Translate packets of cheese and onion crisps, please. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, our plan is really well conceived, isn't it? Because you get messy this summer, and then. Next summer, Mbappe's on a free, isn't he? Oh, yes. So oh, Donnarumma's on a free as well. I know we've got two good goalkeepers. He's going to Paris saint germain though, isn't he? Oh, yeah. So I think we're, we're stuffed with that. But, oh, you, know, true. <laughs> if, if, you know, if we can just, you know, Messi this year, Mbappe the next, and then there you have, you've got the players working either sides of Kwame Thomas, haven't you? <laughs> What? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it, it's very realistic as well. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah, yeah. I just assume you missed out on Van Alden, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's true. So we have been decent. But... Well, we got this TikTok money now, haven't we? The, the sky's <laughs> the limit. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that. Well, maybe we should move on to that very subject yes. after this. And we're back. Oh, well. Mad sponsorship news. There is more news to come, I suspect. By the time uh, you hear this, you'll also know who the backer shirt sponsors are, but we are recording this before it's been released. But to be honest, the rest of the sponsors are spectacular. TikTok. TikTok, Jay. TikTok. TikTok. Just a huge, huge... Well, you've got to say, one of the, the biggest social media platforms in the world. Mm without doubt and it's absolutely mental that we have tiktok the the envy of probably most english football clubs or any football club would love to have tiktok on their shirt because it's such a huge business yeah it's crazy isn't it <laughs> uh, you know what do they sponsor the european championships and us <laughs> that's quite something isn't it really oh man i, I don't know I, i'm excited at the prospect um Obviously, from a financial point of view, yeah. clearly TikTok aren't going to come along and, and pay the same rate as a, as a local sponsor would. Um, I, I find it exciting in other ways, though. I feel this takeover is very cleverly conceived and is perhaps unique in the way it's looking to, yeah. to do business where we are looking to trade in on sort of ethereal things yeah, reputations, social media, more than just having a person, a property developer with cash in his back pocket coming in and sticking some on the table or an oligarch. You know, the, the, the idea of building our brand and making us recognisable is making more and more sense. And even though I think there's always been a, 
a sort of understandable skepticism of well you know the, the notion that we could become a big story globally uh you know it's, it's a bit over the top that i've got to ask is it over the top because stuff no. you know stuff goes viral all around the world tiktok is its agent we've actually got them now working in partnership with us this all seems so cleverly put worked together that we've we've not just got the people who can draw huge interest on social media we've actually got the number one platform of social media in terms of young people and young adults working in partnership with us to help us to get this message across this is crazy really and and, and let's be fair do you see the cues for the yeah. for, for buying the new shirt you tell me if we didn't have TikTok, say we had PG Skips or another or a random <laughs> skip company, or if we, had skip. Them, a, 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 if we had Speedy Two Hire on on the front of our T-shirts, would we would there have been cues like that? No, it's because TikTok's on our on our top. Yeah, it's yeah. got the young, the young fans engaged already, and it you know what comes with TikTok is brand exposure. I know I don't like saying it because. You know, it's a very, I'd say, American NFL sort of term, isn't it, to say that sort of thing about your football club because we don't look at football clubs like brands, but it's free advertisement, isn't it? And, you know, if Rob McElhenney or Ryan Reynolds create a TikTok wearing a Rex and top, there's going to be thousands of kids who want to <laughs> look at it, isn't it? It's crazy. When, uh, when TikTok produced their own content and there's somebody in it in a Wrexham shirt, you know, that's that's it's just massive, and you know, I I feel weird saying this as I'm a pensioner, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is, the football is now consumed differently than it was when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, you've got the same traditional sort of ways of accessing football from reading magazines, looking in the paper, watching match of the day, seeing games live. That still persists, but. If you are young enough, you have a completely different way of consuming it, where there's, it's, whether it's live streaming, which, of course, fits in very well with what we did well last year, whether it fits in with, you know, I don't necessarily support a team as such, but I like seeing their goals on TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. You know, but we're now... At, we're actually, I feel like these sorts of changing ways that people experience uh, entertainment football and I mean at the very highest level has been quite poor at taking advantage of it it's been more an approach of oh well TikTok's big now so we better do some TikTok stuff whereas th this is different this is this is incredibly clever this is <laughs> this is two of the big creators of that sort of content going into partnership with us and with TikTok the, the, the possibilities of pushing us are endless and when you think about this notion of us being everyone's second favorite team in america you know it starts feeling a bit more realistic it's your casual football fans who maybe aren't big fans of wrexham certainly aren't big fans of football but we're that cool team that have tiktok on the front and we want to buy their shirt we're that cool team that have tiktok on the front and ryan reynolds wears that shirt oh well we'll i'll buy one of those those would look nice do you know what I mean? It's it's all exactly. tied in together. Exactly, and it's it's fantastic, and I think it's just great for the club. And you know, when I seen TikTok as our sponsor, I had to buy that top straight away because I knew this could be, this could potentially be one of Wrexham's iconic tops, couldn't it? Like yeah. the start of the, of something huge. And, and when I thought of TikTok and what what the brands we've got in as a national league club, that was when I sort of started to believe that you know championship football for Rex in the next 10 years could be a really strong possibility with the money we could potentially bring in um, and, the, and the size of the club and the interest in the club and engaging in young fans using TikTok. It's just going to be, oh, it's going to be great. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's really, really fascinating to see. We, um, so have you got a shirt? I have not got it on me. I've got it ordered. Oh, he'll so be coming soon. He's he's devoted, isn't he? Fair play, nice one. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna wait to see the away shirt first, maybe. I don't know. Oh, I'll, I'll get both. I'm a football shirt hoarder, so oh, fair enough. That, that's, that, that was a, that's a good response, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I just love this whole, like I said, the hand in hand marketing branding approach. 
And, you know, we have to manage expectations. But the fact is that we are an ambitious club now looking to really strike out and, and achieve remarkable things for our standards. And, and, and this is a remarkable thing. And, you know, to be frank, I don't like all this exaggeration. You know, for example, we'll get onto this, I'm sure, later. The England-Germany game, the way that the Ballyhoo is making out this is the biggest game in history when it's, it's not. Um, mm. But, but that, the, the day of the announcement of TikTok as our sponsors, I think, was a really big day in Wrexham Football Club's history. I think it was a, as transformative a day in many ways as the, the takeover itself. Yeah, it's, it symbolised a lot that, you know, mm. these guys really need, mean business. If, you get, if you're getting in bed with people like TikTok and, you know, it was inevitable as well. We were going to have aviation gin. Yeah. on our sleeve wasn't it that was that was an inevitable but you know that, that's that's a big gin company yeah, yeah quality gin by the way really nice <laughs> um if they want to send if ryan reynolds wants to send dragon hearts some free samples oh. uh, help well. help yourself <laughs> <laughs> well as we're advertising can i just say that random skips you mentioned earlier rather disparagingly random skips do great skips <laughs> all your skip needs random skips um, <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of gin myself, but I wouldn't mind a trailer. And Evo Williams, of course. I mean, I, I've got to say, apart from the fact that Evo Williams are there on, as the short sponsors, which is great, I, I, th this makes me happy. You know, I was talking, all right, let, let, let's get sentimental here. I was chatting to my dad this morning. My dad, who started watching Wrexham during the Second World War. And I was talking to him about TikTok and different things and sort of, uh, you know, how I thought it was quite a significant step. Uh, but the thing that pleased him the most was when I said, but we're keeping Evo Williams on the shorts. Yeah. And he said, oh, that, that's, he, that was what struck him the most, that we're loyal to the local community. Yeah. Um, and he said, they've stuck with us for years. They've been on our shirt for a few years. They've stuck with us and helped us when we needed them. And he, he just said he thought that was brilliant that we 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 are sticking with them when we don't have to we could sell the short sponsorship at, at a higher price but we don't need to and we shouldn't because this is a community project as well and they were very clear from the start that local sponsors are still welcome alongside international sponsors of a global scale and i think that's fantastic because the club's yeah. we've got taken over by rich people often lose their identity Chelsea could be anywhere in the world you know but we are recognisably Wrexham the Evo Williams thing is a beautiful encapsulation of that and of those values I think talk about brand exposure for them as well those two TikTok videos or two <laughs> videos that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have done these two superstars in their own right have done for this trailer company in North Wales it's it's excellent isn't it it's really really nice for them and I hope they do so well out of it I'm so glad they're on the shorts and mm. as you said keeping things local it would nice to see if we were to serve food in the ground in the future, if it was going to be from local produce and yeah, from local yeah. people and the beer they sell, let's hope it's going to be local beers and ciders and what have you, just, you know, really help help this town out because, you know, Wrexham has a hell of a lot of potential and I'm so glad that these two crazy people from across the globe can see our potential. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then we should think about this maybe for a future conversation, our, our dream our dream list of local sponsors, maybe not mentioning names as such, but what areas could be brought in, like you just said, you know, the, the food in the ground being locally done. Uh, I, I, I guess I've got to say this for the billionth time, Kidderminster's food is outstanding yeah. because <laughs> it's done locally. Um, you know, I, I, I love the idea that, that, you know, we could maybe get some properly made home cooking as our football fair. I don't, I don't mean like, you know, change the sort of things that are served, but just have them done really, really well and nicely, rather than what most clubs do, getting half-frozen pies from yeah. huge companies' uh, storehouse and and defrosting them on the morning of the match. You know, it'd be great if we could do that. I think, I'm sure I've mentioned on Dragon Art Brighton having all the local pies and beers and things like that, and it's... Yeah, it's, it's it's exciting, isn't it? It's good. It's good to see the the shorts as hopefully symbolise the direction we'll go in in that sense as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I I couldn't agree more. And it's 
it's it's a really really exciting time to be a Wrexham fan and I simply just can't I just can't wait for the season to start because it, it it's going to be a roller coaster it's going to be an extraordinary one isn't it absolutely um on the subject of the kit, well, we're going to talk more about the kit next week and we'll explain that in a moment. But um, I'm assuming as you bought one, you like that kit. It's a, it is it is an attractive one, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a really unique kit. So when I first saw it, I'll be quite honest, I didn't really like I'm not too keen on white sleeves of the Rex and Top. Because yeah. it, it's sort of, I sort of think of Arsenal when I think of red and white sleeves. But then the more I've looked at it, the more it's sort with the collar and what have you, it sort of does look like a Wrexham kit. So yeah. it's really grown on me throughout the day yesterday. And obviously I had to buy one because I'm a football kit holder. So <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I'm with you on that. I, I've, all, I've never been that mad on the white sleeves ones. The only ones I can remember, it was the season we got relegated, was it? Or was it the season after? We... we no, it was the season we got relegated under Dennis Smith. Um, and there was one in the 90s as well. And I was never that mad about them. But this one, I do like, actually. I think it looks a bit cleaner, if, yeah. if you will. There's less fuss on it. And I think that it makes it look attractive. I also think, from a cynical branding point of view, as I said before, if you're going to be, you know, we are TikTok's team, then we really need to have a shirt that looks good and that people around the world will be willing to wear. And I think in that sense, yeah, we haven't gone outlandish. Um, we haven't got strange designs or squiggles on. Or remember last year, the, that away kiss thing? Who was it? Was it Adidas where they put the, the street maps on the away shirts and yeah. things like that? It's horrible. I'm sorry for me. Well, no, no, I shouldn't say horrible. That's a, a, quite a nice idea if you're from around there or a really diehard fan. But it probably doesn't appeal to that broader audience that we could maybe appeal to. I can't believe I'm, I'm saying that we could appeal to clubs more than Man United do. Um, you know, the, it mm. means nothing to you. I don't think as a sort of smart piece of clothing, you'll buy something of street all over it. Uh, but this is very clean, the, the design of the, the neck and the stripes on it. It's all very neat and clean and the sort of thing you could imagine people wearing. It looks a bit, for me as well, a bit baseball-y, you know, in a hmm. sense, with the, the different coloured sleeves. And I don't think that's a bad idea. You know, baseball shirts genuinely look good. And, and I just think it's, it's, it's nicely designed with the sort of idea that this is something that people will, will buy who are not maybe Wrexham fans, but like the TikTok idea. Maybe, you know, see some cleverly done content on TikTok and are attracted in that way rather than necessarily wanting to subscribe to watching our games for 90 minutes. Yeah, it looks like a hybrid of the 2000-2001 top and the second year of the conference, you know, with the white sleeves, the umbro yeah, one yeah, we those, had. Those are the years it's, I'm trying to think of. Well done, yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, it sort of looks like a hybrid of them two kids. Yeah, and yeah. I, do, I do really like it, you know, and as long as, and this is my personal thing, as long as the, the white sleeves don't become a thing, I don't mind it as like one-off sort of kits like every few seasons, but as long as next year, maybe we just go back to red again. Mm. Just all red, but I do really like it. I do really like it, and I think it's going to be an iconic kit, so and it's obviously selling well. Yeah, looks yeah, at things. Yeah, <laughs> That's another example of getting the little things right. Uh, and to be fair, uh, you can't blame the trust for being unable to do this, but and, and they worked hard to do it, but for years and years and years, the complaint's always been that the kit is launched and then you can't get your hands on it for weeks. Um, and to be fair to the trust, like I said, they realised that and they did try to address that. And there were times when the kit was available sooner. But the truth is that it's difficult when you're a fifth division team to get, to get you know, priority treatment. Uh, now, of course, we can. And so you've got a yeah. situation where there's a lot of satisfaction. I know what you mean now, those two kits with the white sleeves, you're quite right. I always think of the second season, the National League season, for some reason, as being the Matty Wolferdon season. I don't know why. Um, but for some reason, him and that shirt and our complete inability to score goals all go hand in hand. Um, but yeah, I, I, this one, I, I wasn't sure about those shirts, but this one's nice and clean. I think that's what I like and why I think it's going to have a wide appeal. 
Um, it's just a nice, proper, clean, nice-looking shirt. And I'm saying nice a lot now, which probably means I should stop talking about fashion because I've hit the end of my vocabulary, haven't I? Well, maybe we can talk about what we'll be talking about next week in regards to... Yes, thank you for reminding me. You're quite right. Um, next week, we'll have a look back at old epic shirts. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled on social media because we'll put some stuff out to remind you of some old classic shirts. We want to know which ones are your favourites and then we'll be able to have a good discussion. Who knows, we, we might even branch out onto TikTok. I should also point out here, this is something I've not really, I wasn't really planning to push yet, but I'll mention it to you guys, our loyal followers, um, that the, the Wrexham fan stuff that I've been doing previously, I've rebranded as Dragonheart on Twitter and Facebook and, and various places and on the blog. Um, and so, yeah, watch out for that stuff. Watch out for Dragonheart stuff on social media. And we will try to give you some stuff to think about and you can tell us what your favourite kits were. But that's enough of clothing now, I reckon. Who do you think I am? Gok one. I didn't think you did think that, but hey. Um, let, let's get down to some more depressing stuff after this. The National League. The people we just can't escape yet. Right. Uh, so it's been a big AGM, AGM to do with uh, the National League, Mark. And I believe I've had a quick read online. It's something to do with salary caps to do with next season or maybe the season after in the National League, but I don't know anything about it. So I'd like you to explain to the listeners yeah. what your thoughts are. Well, I think, firstly, the, the, the context of this, I think, is that um, Brian Barwick has gone now, of course. There was the devoted no confidence, which the board survived, but obviously they are wounded. Um, and Barwick then stepped down, and so he was replaced this week by Jack Pierce, who is a very experienced football administrator has been on the FA Council for a long time but the, the the problem for me with the National League in general is that and I, I'm going to sound foolish saying this but it's a real embodiment to think of why you need external people to be maybe running these sorts of bodies I mean Pierce I'm not criticizing Pierce at all I, I don't know the bloke um but you know he, he is associated with Bogner Town and is still on their board. Fair enough, good for him. Grassroots football, that's fantastic. But the problem is that the National League tends to be a sort of battleground between big and small clubs. I don't think that's healthy. I think it also leads to resentment. It is the place where the two, you know, where football league teams on the way down and grassroots teams on the way up meet. Uh, in many ways, that's a fantastic thing. But I think I think there should be independent leadership, which reflects what the member clubs want, but you know, still has that overview of what will suit everybody. Um, so I'm a little concerned about certain things that were passed. Well, were passed today. There's going to be an EGM in 2022 to actually rubber stamp them. Uh, one, before I get onto the salary cap, is there's going to be a standards and ethics committee formed. Now, I like that idea because obviously the clubs are really unhappy with the, the management boards of the National League, especially the North and South clubs. So to have, you know, a body which is looking into how it's run and trying to maybe improve transparency, because let's be honest, the National League's opaque, um, is a good thing. However, I've got the statement out here, um, but it does say that it appears it's going to be in, done internally. Now, for me, maybe a standards and ethics committee should be external. You know, mm. you, you, FIFA and UEFA, I'm not comparing National League to them in this sense, but, you know, their ethics committees will say, oh, yeah, well, we had problems, but now we're all perfect. Yeah, because it's them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when all the yeah. crises were going on at FIFA, they were saying, no, 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 we're fine, because their ethics committee were all the FIFA committee people who were, who were accused. <laughs> I mean... You, have, you need external people to police that sort of thing. Mm. So I'm a little concerned by that. I hope that maybe that's that, that doesn't turn out that way. Um, but who knows? Um, they also have said 
that um, but this right this statement, the sentence in their statement really confuses me. Um, the AGM attendees were informed the season will not begin without spectators or suitable grant funding. So either there will be fans in the grounds or there will be grants. Who says? I mean, isn't this the whole point of the revolution last season was that people were saying, oh, yeah, don't worry, there'll be grants. And then there weren't. How are yeah. they? How, how, I'd, like, I'd like a lot more detail on that rather than just that one sentence to understand who says that. I assume, will it be again that Wrexham would miss out? Will it again be that, you know, we might not have fans, but other clubs do? Those issues, I reckon, are still alive. So it yeah. does bother me a bit anyway. Mm. But the salary cap thing is the specific thing that bothers me. Um, right, they're talking about it being brought in for the start, not of the season coming, the season after, 22-23. And so there's going to be a working committee to work out the details and then put it to the clubs at this EGM 2022. Now, yeah, great. Great for us. We get a bit of money and then we're going to be told we can't spend it. Um, <clears throat> the talk was that, well, no, no, that's not fair. There have figures have been mentioned. Obviously, they're certainly not final figures because there's going to be this committee to look at it. But the figure that was mentioned was £900,000 for an overall budget. Well, Brian Hughes had considerably more than that to spend on the squad that did so badly two years ago. So the trust, you know, people say the trust didn't have the money to, to spend. Well, they managed to fund a much better, you know, sort of budget than you would be allowed to have in two years' time if these figures come to pass. That makes me feel uncomfortable. That comes back to what I said about vested interests. The small clubs will always have a majority and will like the idea of <laughs> evening things out. And mm. there's part of me doesn't mind that, but I, I well, okay. <clears throat> the, the EFL passed a similar resolution last season to be brought in for the coming season and was sued. Uh, by top, the, the guy who's uh, mentioned a lot on the Price of Football podcast and is the top football lawyer, Nick DeMarco. And what he achieved was to change it from a hard salary cap to a soft salary cap. Namely, it's not just a figure, and everybody is, has to come underneath that figure. It's based on your actual incomings. Now, I right. would say that and the reason why I'm comfortable with McElhenney and, and Reynolds is that, to be fair, as we've seen this week, they're not just lobbing money at us until we go pop. Uh, they're, they're putting things in place that raise money for us naturally. So, you know, we get a sponsorship from TikTok. That's not a fix. <laughs> That's TikTok being mm. wanting to be part of this. That is, therefore, natural revenue for us. Um, but if there's a... A salary cap what's the point in getting sponsored by tiktok because we'll just yeah. have extra cash sitting in the bank that we can't use well we have to use on something that won't affect what's on the pitch and that's wrong especially when you think that all right then let's take him as an example boring wood well, boring wood's uh, salary wouldn't get up to nine hundred thousand, so they, they have no restrictions clubs of a smaller of a smaller nature will not be affected at all by the salary cap only the big clubs will and that just feels wrong to me, even though I am, you know, left-wing in my views of, of life and football. I still think that that, that, that penalising someone that others doesn't feel right. Um, also, from a left-wing point of view, why should footballers, and especially, you know, footballers who aren't that well paid at our level, come mm. on, let's be honest, why, why should they be subject to restrictions on how much money they're allowed to earn? You know? Yeah. But at a time when we're hoping... But when we're going to see a lot of unemployment amongst footballers, we're going to bring in a hard salary cap, are we? And say, oh, well, you can't find a job with us now because we're going to spend less too. I, I don't agree with that. I think that's that's wrong. Um, I know I've got a vested interest because we've suddenly become wealthy. But even so, <clears throat> you know, we've always had the capacity to generate more money than the other clubs in our division, except perhaps Notts County and Chesterfield because we're we get big crowds and we have terrific devotion in our fans and i just mm. i'm really i don't mind a soft salary cap i don't mind people saying you can't spend beyond your means 
but I don't like a hard salary cap because, like I said, um, surely we'll never get anywhere near the salary cap if they got promoted again. So they can just buy whoever they want as they would have done. But we can't. That's not that's not right, I don't think. Rant's over. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a level playing field, is it, if you can't play to your strengths? Yeah, it, I think it's sort of a lot of the football corporations sort of looking at like the American model of doing things, isn't it, really? There's a lot of salary, salary caps. That works in there because there's no real promotion or relegation and everyone gets a fair slice of the pie, don't they? So, yeah, I, I think you put it great. I can't really add anything more to that. But I'm cynical as well. If you look at that American system, like you say, the big difference is they're self-contained, aren't they? Not yeah. only in terms of no relegation or promotion, um, but also in terms of no foreign threat. Um, yeah. You know, Liverpool know that if the Premier League brings in a salary cap and they have to pay Salah less, he'll go to Real Madrid. Yeah. But the Boston Red Sox know that if their star picture, a picture, I said, their star picture um, has to live within a salary cap, he can't go off and sign for a team in Italy instead mm. because that doesn't exist so it, it's one of those weird things isn't it the American sports structure and it, it's, it's a I mean America is such a strange country in, in so many ways isn't it really yeah um, in, in that right they totally reject anything that's left wing at all uh, if a politician says they're a socialist then they're in serious danger of ending their career right there and there yeah um, and yet, if you think about it, they they sell their sports model as being extremely socialist and even and fair. But in reality, it isn't, is it? In reality, it's it's owners getting a guaranteed income because their team can't get relegated. The the churn of putting the weaker teams at the top of the draft to pick the best players means that your investment's always going to be pretty sound. And ultimately, you don't have to pay top dollar in salaries because there's a cap so yeah it's it, 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 it's sort of pointing towards owners getting richer and richer isn't it which is a it's an esl uh, yeah. project isn't it really and that's well that's what um the top dogs in football want yeah eventually is is a an american style format where you know like people like Arsenal. let's look at like arsenal for example they're dropping off Because, you know, there's a lot of teams around them that are like, you know, your Leicester, your Wolves, who have knocked them out of that place. They're not getting their guaranteed money anymore. So they 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 want they obviously want the ESL to make sure that that cash flow is coming in. Mm. But it, it just wouldn't work in British football, would they? Or any sort of football. Because I think, yeah, football is an opportunity, opportunity sport, isn't it? Where anyone, that's, that's the part of the dream, isn't it? That one day... Like Wrexham will be playing in the Premier League, or one day my team might win the cup. So yeah, that's my rant on that. <laughs> You're exactly right. I, I, I yeah. remember when the European Soccer League was put out there. I tweeted one of my rare moments of lucidity um, <clears> that <throat> the, the difference between football fans and the ESL club owners is that when Wrexham beat Arsenal, everyone thought that was a wonderful thing. Even to be fair. In a way, the Arsenal fans, I mean, obviously they were absolutely gutted, but, uh, you know, as a remove, they would admit, okay, that is the point of football. Um, and it is a great achievement for you guys. But the European Super League club owners would be horrified and disgusted at a big club's um, financial planning being affected by a scummy little weasel club like us. Yeah. And that's that's the point. That's, that's the difference in them and football fans, isn't it? And, Oh, I don't know, but I just, anyway. I'm just concerned. Like I said, they, I, I could, you know, I, I don't really agree with the idea of depressing the the wealth of clubs at the top of the Premier League. And that, you know, if if they're able to generate income, they can generate income. You know, mm. um, but certainly I don't see the logic in the National League of doing that because if a club is too big for the National League financially, it will go out of there. You know, the Premier League yeah. doesn't have anywhere to go. If <clears throat> you know, Salford had too much money to stay in the National League, so they went up. That, that, mm. That's how it works. And you know, whereas I don't like seeing clubs 
having one person coming in, splashing the cash, and then leaving the club to, to die when they get bored. That's terrible. I do think things should be done against that. Um, I don't. A salary cap is the opposite. A salary cap is mm. let's just dump on the players again, like we usually do, because politically it's easy. Because the government will dump on the players and say, "Oh yeah, look at them getting paid." You know. Yeah, this yeah. is the problem I have with the general public or a lot of tabloid newspapers is they'll blame the footballers, but they won't blame the big wigs who are making the actual yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. You know. Footballers are usually 99% of footballers come from working class backgrounds, and because they've got extraordinary talents, they're making a few bob. And yeah, they might be a bit reckless with their money and what have you, but they're getting paid extraordinary amounts. That's not forever, but it's easier to blame the working class lads from council estates who've got a bit of bob now than it is to blame the big wigs who are Tories' mates or other politicians' mates. Well, that's exactly it, isn't it? Really, it's yeah. The, it's the fact that players are easy targets because of some sort of strange tugging your forelock attitude that we Brits have of uh, not getting above your station. This yeah. is wrong, um, and, and salary caps to me immediately smell of that. I think. Yeah, I, think. I, I understand. Agree. Should we go? Should we move on to the Euros? Yes, well, we let's. About Wales, then. So sadly, but um, yeah, yeah. Should we move on to the Euros? After Let's this, do it. Well, Wales out of the Euros, and it was a real shame how it happened, but it's, it's still been a very, very successful campaign, isn't it, Jay? Let's be honest. Yeah, and the so-called, so-called experts said we wouldn't even get a point, you know? We wouldn't get out the group, and we've done that, and we've got a real side, and we've got a real nucleus of a young side that's really promising for the future, and we've got a lot... We've got a lot to be proud of of this tournament. Yes, I would have liked to have seen us maybe even take it to extra time or penalties and lose, but losing 4-0 was a bit of pill to swallow. But, hey, oh, we, we've... I, it, I was so cruel, wasn't it, really? And I, mm. I feel sad that... <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I'm extremely reluctant to blame the ref I'm, I'm not going to it's not it's not realistic to say it's the ref fault we went out however he did massively influence that game at key moments and yeah. the, the truth of the matter is that we had a very poor first half well no 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 that's not true is it first 25 minutes i was absolutely delighted i thought yeah i, I quite fancied us against denmark in the first 25 it was playing as i hoped and i thought yeah this mm. is great um <clears throat> that change of, of pushing christensen forwards made a massive difference and we weren't able to respond to it on the pitch and we were lucky to go in 1-0 down um, but we reorganised after the break and the first 5-6 minutes of the half I was really pleased thinking okay yeah this now feels more like the start of the first half and I was sitting there thinking we are now back in this game next goal wins sort of thing yeah. and the truth of the matter is that you know I'm, I'm not drawing, I'm not pretending that bad 20 minutes didn't happen and not pretending that the second half went well but that second goal for Denmark should not have been allowed to stand and yeah. that's the point of VAR if you can't say well there's a real howler I mean Moore was absolutely taken out by Kiar um, you know, heard people saying oh well did he, did he go through the man to play the ball they were saying it was a foul he didn't even play the ball he just went through Moore I yeah. mean, that's a blatant foul it's an appalling decision and you know, I, I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if the referee had given a decision that every other referee would give and just said, right, free go to Wales, that second goal then doesn't happen and we continue with that momentum. That game could have turned out very differently. And then the rest of it, you know, I mean, the two goals at the end, I think, are cruel. I think they make it look worse than it is. Yeah. The sending off is another appalling decision. Um, for me, that's never a red card. And again, where's VAR? But... You know, it's a shame because uh, that, that game really could have turned out differently. For me as well, I think Denmark was the worst opposition to play at this point as well. You know, they're a side of real quality. They beat us twice convincingly in the Nations League. Uh, you know, they've got man for man, they're better than us. They had the full stadium of support. The whole world wanted them to win. Uh, the referee obviously wanted them to win too. Uh <laughs> Allegedly, but it was, it was, yeah, it, it was the worst possible tie, the worst possible timing. And 
you know, Wales have had their backs against the wall for this whole tournament and we've actually, you know, played pretty well. We got a good draw against, you know, Switzerland, who just beat France. Uh, we beat Turkey in practically what was a, quintessentially a home game, wasn't it? The amount of fans they had and beat them quite convincingly. And we give Italy a cracking game as well. And it was just a shame we fell through the hurdle. But you, you, you've you, got to look, for me, the big thing is, is the advantage Denmark had over us traveling and training-wise throughout the whole tournament. This whole format of a tournament was a joke from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, look at the Swiss. The Swiss played in Baku, then Rome, then Baku again. Then they came back into Central Europe to play their knockout game. And now they've gone back across to St. Petersburg, aren't they, I think, for the weekend. So, yeah. I mean, that's just not fair. The, the amount of travelling. And anyone heard of COVID? How, how could yeah. we have this, this pan-continental tournament when travel is dangerous? Honestly, if ever there was a time to say, we'll do this some other time, let's just plonk it in. Well, I mean, England would be the obvious choice in that you've got the stadiums of Germany. Just do that. and oh, I mean, no. It's absolutely unfair, isn't it? Don't do it ever again. Never again, because yeah. we had we had no fans. We had no fans. In, I, I, I tell you what, I think a big part of Wales' identity as football is the red wall. And, you know, you're telling me that, I'm telling you now, if we played Denmark and we had the same amount of fans each side, it would have been a different game. It would have been, yeah. been a different game. Denmark fans were brilliant. They were really loud and quite intimidating. And I think, you know, if we had full fans for each one of these games, it would have been a completely different site. But you've got to look at, say, let's look at our nearest neighbours, England and Scotland. They've only had to play in Hampden Park and in Wembley. And they've been able to have fans, their own fans in each one of the games. How many have we actually had? I'd like to see the actual number of how many fans we've had at Baku and we've had at Rome. And we've had Amsterdam. It's probably not even enough to finish. It's probably less than average Wrexham home attendance, isn't it? I think, yeah. Are they talking about 500 odd? Yeah. If that's accurate. It's, yeah, you're probably talking about under 2,000 overall. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. It is rotten. I mean, I think it's unfortunate the support thing. I mean, obviously, COVID limits that. But then that's another reason to not do this, isn't it, really? You know, have it in one country and then you've got one country with the advantage of uh, their supporters but that's what always happens I just think that feels fairer just to have that happening isn't it um, I mean Covid's also exaggerated slightly the advantage for some teams for example that England-Germany game was supposed to be played in Dublin wasn't it and it had to be moved to England because Ireland couldn't couldn't take matches Um Likewise, actually, from the of Spain, who had home advantage, but maybe it wasn't that great an advantage, was it? Because the pitch at La Cartuja was terrible. And the moment they left there, <laughs> that game against Croatia. Now, that was supposed to be played yeah. in Bilbao, but Bilbao, uh, the Basque authorities wouldn't let them play there. And so they went to Andalusia instead and played a horrible, soulless stadium, despite the fact there were two brilliant football grounds in Seville. They chose the, the horrible Olympic stadium that doesn't get used with a dreadful pitch. And it went so badly in terms of atmosphere that in their final match, they were allowed 16,000 fans and only 12,000 tickets were sold. That's quite something in a football mad country that's been starved of chances to go to games. Um, you know, so there's been all sorts of things that have been wrong about this format. It's just stupid. The amount of travel, it's almost like, well, I feel it links a bit to that salary cap thing. The players are just, uh, they're just things to be pushed around on the board. So I think yeah. people let them suffer, let them, drive, let them fly back and forth, back and forth. I, 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 I don't know. No, it, 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 it surely won't happen like, again. Sure, hope so. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have thought uh, so. It and been a good hope, wasn't it? I mean, the games this week have been mad. Oh, it's been brilliant. It, you know, we, the Croatia-Spain games, the one that really kicked it off, wasn't it? That was excellent, wasn't it? And you know what? At the start of the tournament, I, I looked at Spain, I thought, this is a side with no real backbone, you know? They looked a bit weak going forward. I don't really like Morata as a striker. I think he's a, you know, I think Spain are missing a Fernando Torres, a David Villa, aren't they? Sort of thing. But then after that Croatia game, I was thinking, you know what? They could actually do something here. It's been a bit of a mad tournament. Totally. Um, I, I, we, we talked about this. I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago, I just didn't understand mm. that the, Enrique seems such a peculiar manager. 
and the way that he chops and changes without obvious reason. And you could pick in, you could put into that side the likes of Oyathabal and Llorente in midfield, where he actually plays rather than a right back, and give it so much more thrust than it had in those group games. And yeah, against Croatia, maybe that issue of the pitch was really a massive one because put that side pretty much the same size on a, on a good surface and they looked really good, didn't they? I'm not sure about their defence. I'm not sure that their defence will withstand scrutiny from the top teams. But having said that, a lot of the top teams are gone. So, you know, mm. maybe they will be fine. Yeah, exactly. And then the game after that was the, the France game, which oh. I think blew everyone away, didn't it? Yeah. That was fabulous, wasn't it, that? What a game. They could have won it in normal time, Switzerland. Yeah. And I was watching that game, I was thinking, God, I wish Wales come first, because I reckon we'd have had a better chance against France than we did Denmark. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it shows how good that point against Switzerland was. Yeah. Because the Swiss yeah. have got a decent chance now getting, you know, getting even further, perhaps. They, they've, well, they've really showed what they were about, didn't they? They've, for years, they've sort of threatened. you got so many promising players coming through. They've done so well at the sort of age group competitions and they're finally sort of actually you know coming through with the results in this tournament because they keep getting stuck at the last 16 don't they but, yeah uh, yeah they, they were great to watch weren't they Seferovic's headers oh. oh it was it was it was excellent and you know it's a uh, gonna be a, it could be potentially a real wild tournament because then we had the the England Germany game and fair play to England as much as I hate to admit it that they they've got to be the clear favourites now, haven't they? I think favourites from their half of the draw. I, I, I would have said Italy and Belgium are they better teams, but then mm, the final will be I, at Wembley for me. I don't, I don't know, Mark. You know they've not conceded a goal so far. True. You know, and you know, the firepower they can bring off the bench. You know, Sancho, Grealish, Dominic Calvert Lewin. That's um, that's Jordan Henderson. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Mountain Foden. That that's a really, really good side, and it's going to take a lot for them to beat them. But who knows? It's been a wild tournament. Maybe Ukraine will knock them out on penalties. Yeah, I mean, you know, balance of probabilities. England against Ukraine on a neutral pitch. You'd favour England. You never know. The Ukrainian side have done well, haven't they? They've got some very nice technical players. Um, And then semi-final at home to Denmark or Czech Republic, fancy England in either of those scenarios. Yeah. And a home game against a strong, strong team, which will probably be about 50-50. So, yeah, they've got, they've got a hell of a chance. But I think yeah, but... Belgium and Spain should be looking at it in the same manner as well, frankly. Yeah, I 100% agree. So, you know, looking at this part, st- stage of the tournament, who, who, would you, who would you put your hat on to win it now. Whoa. Oh. I've got a funny feeling Belgium won't. I, I feel, I, I don't know. People say Southgate's too negative. I think Belgium are a bit too negative, I feel. I, was, I don't know. I'm not sure about them. I doubted Italy, as you know, sort of thinking, are they quite as good as we think? But I'm starting to come around to, to thinking that they look decent. The way they struggled but still got through in the, the last round. You sort of think, yeah, okay, so they're winners. They're in the habit of winning now. And even when the game goes against them, they still find a way to win. Even if they don't play that well, still find a way to win. So, yeah, i kind of got a sneaking suspicion for Italy now, but it's not a strong, it's not a strong feeling. I, I like yeah. Spain, but I'm trying to, like I said, I've always liked Spanish football, so whether I'm being biased, I've got a pair of that in mind. Who do you fancy? Uh, England. Uh, I don't want them to win. Yeah. Because it's not the English side. Because I'd like to point this out. You know, look at Jordan Henson. He did a fantastic tweet to a, a gay fan who felt really comfortable and in coming into the game in makeup and what have you. And you got Raheem Sterling, Tyrone Mings, Rashford. Rashford, and what they've done this season for social justice as as players. Yeah. And they've got some fantastic entertaining players like Grealish and Sancho. And as players and as a team, I really like them as a personality. Don't like the the media coverage of them. I, I I don't like the it's coming home thing. Like they have this divine right to own football, so I don't want them to win it. But 
I just think I just have this gut feeling they're going to. Yeah, yeah. And on the pitch, you can't really fault them so far. Yeah, they've been good, haven't they? Fair play to them. Yeah, I, I'm 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 scared of saying this, but I'm I'm not a typical Welsh and Wrexham football fan. I don't mind England really. I think you're right about the boorish element of their fans and the media really annoy me. But I feel I want to just look at the football, and I I actually like this England team. So uh, I'm not I'm not saying I want them to win. Please please understand me, everyone. But I I don't feel desperate for them to lose either I sort of think that they've already with the taking of the knee and the clear statement Southgate's made um, have made it plain to the, the bigot Subu that that they are not representing them, they're not interested in those people's opinions, they're going to keep doing it so yeah, from a football point of view I, I'm just, I'm relaxed let's let the best team win now and if it's England, I'll take that and I'll just think that it's nice for the decent people in that squad to have it rather than Morons wandering around showing off about it. I admit, yeah. I was watching TV for about six weeks because just because the media is ludicrous, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's just the you know the Germany England game was the world's biggest game that everyone's ever seen. The, the whole world stopping for it, and then they, before that it was the England Scotland game. That's the biggest game everyone's ever ever seen. The the old two rivals, but no, they're just they are just two football games, and you know you could argue. This is an aging that was an aging Germany side, not aging the, uh, not the classic Germany side. Yeah, you know that, and you know, on paper England should have won that game, and uh, you know, but as you said, for what they stand for, fair play to them, and uh, I stand with that England team on everything they they stand for. So fair play to them, and onto that, I'd also like to give credit to Germany on how they stood up against, you know. The homophobic leader of Hungary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what a craven decision by UEFA that was to say yeah. that Neuer's armband is acceptable because it's not a political statement. Yeah, absolutely. But then, but you can't do that against Hungary because it's a political statement. You don't need me to explain the hypocrisy of all that. But I would, I would point out that if not lighting up a stadium uh, is if you don't light a stadium up because you don't want to upset an autocratic right-wing leader who is homophobic, that's a political statement. That's clearly a political statement, much more than uh, making a statement just about morals and what's right and what's wrong. And the fact that they then try to cover it up by, by trying to say, oh, yeah, yeah, but actually we really are, you know, into all this rainbow stuff and then I'm going up, you know, over the top trying to say, yeah, well... But when it, when it mattered, your actions didn't say that. And I just thought, like you said, it was brilliant the way that the German clubs and other clubs around Europe lit up the state their stadium instead. How the Munich mayor lit up a wind turbine right next to the stadium instead in the rainbow colours. Uh, I thought that was wonderful. Um, and you know, maybe maybe in the accidentally UEFA did this all a favour because in making this such a, a argument point they've actually forced us to look at this as an issue and they've driven it up the agenda. And inadvertently, they actually have done something good. But consciously, they haven't. Have they? Let's be honest, it was appalling that they couldn't stand up to Orban like that. that but to be, to be fair, they were. I think at this point, they were still worried about whether the final was going to be held, held at Wembley or not because yeah. they, they wanted um, special rules for the, the head of UEFA to come in and not having to isolate and what have you. So they were going to actually... Uh, host it in Hungary, weren't they? The final, if they had to. So they had to try and keep that uh, leader sweet, didn't they, in, in many regards. And But for me as well, one thing I like to say, the, the rainbow flag is not a political statement because you can be from the LGBTQ plus community and have whatever political beliefs you ever want, but you just maybe have a different sexual orientation, but you could still be a conservative. You could still be a socialist. It, it, it's not, for me, it's not really a political flag. It's just someone, people celebrating who they are. I just have an issue with UEFA saying, I, I, rightly, what you just said, that it's not a political thing, it's a moral thing, but their morals can be put on hold if they're worried about where their final's going to get played. But the yeah. morals don't work like that. If you know something's right or wrong, it's not, it's right, 
except in this particular situation because it wouldn't suit me. That's not how morals work. It's just awful. And anyway, they're stupid if they were doing that because it was clear that that was what they were doing. And secondly, the Italians were keen to hold it. So yeah. give it to Rome. If you want to leave yeah. Britain, leave, give it to Rome. They were never not going to bring it to London anyway. There was no way Boris Johnson was going to take the humiliation, especially when he's bidding for the 2030 World Cup. Yeah. Um, of not having the finals, I think it's finals taken away from Britain like that. There's no way on earth that he was he'll give them whatever they want. Um, so it was a, it was a false debate anyway. But I guess it smoked out UEFA, <laughs> made them expose themselves to what they are. Maybe that was alright. No, uh, that's it, it. It was no real shock though, was it? And that then then doing what they did and with saying against Hungary, you can't do the rainbow. So I've actually made a bigger deal out of it than it should have actually ever been anyway so and Orban didn't go in the end did he, he was supposed to be going because he knew what yeah. he was with lots of German fans with rainbow wigs and all sorts of rainbow flags so yeah oh well very typical German isn't it and it's absolutely brilliant they're a very yeah. liberal country aren't they for the most part so good on them which is why it's so annoying that our media still insist on portraying them in the context of the Second World War and Lederhosen and big steins of beer. Although, to be fair, those big steins of beer are real and are great. Yes, they are. I, I'm a big fan of big steins of beer anyway. So <laughs> let's wrap this up. What, what's your initial thoughts on these last set of games then? Your whole, your whole thoughts on this last set of games in the Euros? I'm really looking forward to them. I think you've got a nice mixture of big teams clashing and small teams clashing. Big against small. We've got a real variety of types of games. And then we've got the insufferable England match. And I do mean insufferable simply because there'll be such squeaky bum tension about that match. Yeah. You know, the whole England will blow them away. England will either go behind and then it'll be the sense of impending doom we're getting from the commentary. Or they'll grind their way through in a sort of um, 1990 Cameroon. Oh, beat this lot. Oh, no, we're losing. Oh, no, we're yeah. losing again. But somehow and, grind their way through. So that'll be, I think that'll be quite a fun sort of war of attrition to watch. And then I think the other games could be quite fun. I'd love a Czech Republic Swiss. <laughs> you and your middle Europa dream. Eh? <laughs> let's, let's dial football back to the 30s. Eh? Uh, Japan against Meisel. There you go. There's some football. <laughs> Google those guys on your TikTok. Ace, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I've really enjoyed doing this one, Mark. Brilliant, absolutely. Well, hey, who knows? My next week, why is that half a squad as well? Yeah, let's hope. We will be talking about Messi. <laughs> practice, practice your Spanish, Jay. Practice your Spanish. Oh, I will. I will. I'll come to you. Next, well, next, next, next week, we'll be having a, a, a Catalan send off, will we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mi amo Lionel. Adiós, muchachos. <laughs>